Welcome back to Sports Crush with D. Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I'm your host, David Cromwell. And now that the 2017 NFL season has reached Conference Championship Week, it means that 29 of the 32 NFL teams are now looking ahead to the 2018 season. Several teams have already underwent significant changes to their coaching staffs, and most, if not all of the teams, are now getting ready for free agency and the draft, including the teams that are still alive in the race for Super Bowl 52. And to give us the news and analysis on this front, it is a pleasure to welcome back to the program our good friend Aaron Lemming, NFL insider for BearReport.com. It's great to see you again, Aaron. How are you? Doing good, doing good. Good to be back on. Good to be talking to you again. Good to be talking to you again as well, Aaron. And let's start out with the coaching situations. And there were a total of six vacancies, which grew to seven this week. But four have already been, five make that have already been filled. And only two vacancies remain. And out of those two remaining vacancies, which head coaching job is the most appealing in your opinion? The Cardinals or the Titans? I'll say the Titans. I, I think when you look at you look at the two teams and you see where they're at right now. And at least with my take, when I look at Arizona, I see an aging team uh, with you know not so good of a cap situation. You don't have a quarterback there. Um, receivers a little questionable. You got Larry Fitzgerald who may retire. You got some guys coming out uh, free agency. John Brown, John Brown. Uh, you know you got a good defense there, but like I said, you you got some aging pieces there versus a team like the Titans when. You look at it, and they have a quarterback situation figured out. I know Mariota didn't have a very good year, but they have some good pieces on offense. They have some good pieces on defense. Uh, I think a lot of the reason why they haven't got farther than they have is because of Mike Malarkey. And I I think getting the right head coach in there, an offensive-minded coach, to be able to really hone in on uh, Marcus Mariota's development and use the offensive weapons that they have and use that good defense that they have, I think that would go a long way. So that's why... When you look at these positions, you you obviously have to look at multiple factors, whether that be uh, you know ownership, uh, GM, uh, the pieces around them. But I think one of the biggest things is quarterback, and I think one of those teams has their quarterback situation squared away, and the other one doesn't, and that's why I'm going with Tennessee. I definitely understand where you're coming from there, Aaron, on why the Tennessee Titans are the most appealing of the two head coaching vacancies, but. The way they handled the Mike Malarkey situation was was very iffy, dare I say. Uh, so my question is, do you think the Titans handled the situation with Mike Malarkey poorly over these last couple weeks? Like, for example, uh, the owners issued a statement uh, after they beat the Chiefs in the wildcard round saying that he would be retained for 2018. And then uh, the day after they beat the Patriots, they said they were talking an extension with him and the day after he was fired. Do you think that was a handled very poorly by the Titans? And if so, if you were a head coaching candidate, would the way the Milwaukee firing went down make you hesitant to accept the job? Well, I think I think it was handled very poorly. I think you look at the situation even going in the playoffs. Ian Rappaport had reported what was a week or two beforehand that if they didn't get in the playoffs or even if they didn't win in the first round of the playoffs, he was going to be out. And that's not something you really want over your head as a head coach. Uh, you know, even even cited this family is as a reason why he didn't want to have to deal with that. And I, I understand the sentiment of why they wanted to fire him. I think they made the right choice. Uh, but I also think that could have been handled much better. And I understand, you know, some things get leaked out, whatever it may be. But a lot of good organizations don't have that kind of stuff happen. Now, with that being said, in terms of the, uh, you know, the, the potential candidates that they could have, one, the field is limited at this point. And two, I think you look at it and, and there's a lot of good things going on there. I, the way they handled it was not not good by any means, but I think you also have to look at it from a prospective uh, candidate's uh, point of view and really see that 
there's, there's limited jobs that come available every year, anywhere from five, seven, maybe eight. Uh, you know, and, and it's one of those things like if you have your opportunity, then you usually go for it. And a lot of the guys remaining uh, are, are guys that really haven't had many interview opportunities or maybe haven't had many opportunities in the last few years to uh, land a coaching job. And it's probably going to be appealing, especially for an offensive mind that gets to work with, uh, you know, work with a guy like Mariota. So I think overall, especially with the current situation, if this is like a Josh McDaniel saying, I know there's some rumors going around that he preferred Tennessee. It uh, looks like he's going to end up going with the Colts. But I think if there was, you know, that that established uh, stud, uh, you know, the young coordinator out there who could be picky, I think it would be one thing. But I think now as the, the field is getting narrowed down, you have multiple guys like a Steve Wilkes who's, interviewed a few times uh john DeFilippo uh is another guy you know quarterbacks coach for the eagles and you start seeing all these guys even a guy like mike vrabel uh that are really looking for the opportunity and maybe they're not going to be as picky because they're not as uh you know they're not that hot topic name and maybe they're just looking for that first opportunity so i think in those kind of situations uh you're still going to have you're still going to have an attractive destination just for the simple fact that, like I said, I mean, these these guys want to get the head coaching job. And anybody, just like any uh, rookie quarterback, anything like that, when these guys come in, they believe that they can turn the franchise around and that they can win. And I don't think it's really any different with head coaches as it is for anybody else. Absolutely. And you mentioned Josh McDaniels expected to be named the new head coach of the Indianapolis Colts once the Patriots season ends. And the other um, four vacancies that have been filled, obviously, John Gruden coming out of the booth to return to the Oakland Raiders and the Chicago Bears hiring a former Chiefs offensive coordinator Matt Nagy to be their next head coach. He got Patriots defensive coordinator Matt Patricia expected to be named the head coach of the Detroit Lions as soon as the Patriots season ends. And Vikings offensive coordinator Pat Shermer expected to get a second chance as a head coach with the New York Giants after the Vikings season comes to an end whenever that is. Out of all the new head coaches hired so far, which one is the best hire and which one is the worst hire and why? Well, I think when you look at the best hire, uh, really, and I know there's going to be quite a few Bears fans who are not going to be overly happy with me saying this, but I think it's Matt Patricia. I think when you look at Patricia, uh, and I've talked to multiple people, you know, that cover the team, you know, even within the, the organization that have said, I mean, this guy is so well-rounded as a candidate. A lot of people look at him, they say, okay, he's a defensive coordinator. But ultimately, the guy has been an offensive assistant. He's a rocket scientist. He understands the game. He connects well with his players. He's got a lot of good leadership qualities, and he just he just seems to be the total package. And I think it's really key, especially when you look at these head coaching, uh, you, know, you know, these guys filling these spots, to, to look at the fit. And I think a guy like Patricia makes a lot of sense for the Lions because – you already have your offensive uh, staff, your offensive uh, system in place with a guy like Matt Stafford. It looks like they're going to keep their offensive coordinator, Jim Bob Cooter, which is huge. And I think if they can find a way uh, really to establish their run game, get a run game going, whether that be drafting another running back or do whatever they need to do, uh, and Patricia can really focus on being the head coach and you know even controlling the defense to a certain extent, I think there's a lot of talent on that roster that maybe hasn't been utilized to its best. Uh, Jim Caldwell's kind of uh, somebody that you know, a lot of Lions fans haven't really been a big fan of. So I'd say that he's probably, at least in my mind, the top hire. Uh, I think probably the worst hire right now, um, looking at it, I, I know this is going to be another one that's not going to be too popular. I think it's John Gruden. I think when you really look at the situation of the Raiders, I, it, it's an interesting one because you have a team that is moving from Oakland to Vegas within the next few years. And this almost kind of seems like more of a PR move. You look at the, you know, it's it, it's not... 
the 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 money that they gave Gruden and the contract that they gave Gruden, you know, it, it doesn't go against a salary cap, but it's still an interesting, and I would say, a, a, just a poor investment. You're talking a ten year, hundred million dollar deal, so you're giving this guy hundred million dollars or ten million dollars a year to coach, and he hasn't coached in nine calendar years. And you really look back at what he's done over, you know, over his career before he retired and went into the booth or you know whatever he did, but you know when he went into ESPN's booth and started calling the Monday Night Football games. There wasn't a lot of consistency. Yes, he won a Super Bowl, but he took somebody else's roster and won that Super Bowl. I think you can go back and you can look at the records, and you can see that there was some there was some disparity from year to year. He would have a bad year. He'd have a good year. But I think the biggest key for me when I look at this is I think he's he's made some solid uh, you know coordinating hires, and his his staff as a as a whole isn't too bad. But when I look at John Gruden as a head coach, nine years, especially in the NFL, especially the last nine years, that's a huge that that's a huge transformation from what he was when he left to what he's coming back to. And I think the other big thing that I'm a little concerned about, and being, I guess you could say, kind of a local guy, uh, you know, and, and knowing the Carr family and having talked to people, uh, they live, you know, or they were born two hours away from me, is the fact that they are uh, conservative Christian people, and I'm. Very curious to see. They've always been very mild-mannered, and I'm very curious to see how John Gruden is going and, and how him and Carr are going to be able to get along. It, I don't. I just. I have a feeling that uh, that Gruden's, I guess, in-your-face personality and the, just how he deals with things isn't going to go over too well. I mean, that's comp- you know, complete speculation on my part, but I think you just put all that together uh, with the Raiders situation, and it, it feels like more of a PR, like a mascot move than it really does about making the best hire. That is a widely shared feeling around the league. And I would like to add that there's been chatter as well, that the reason why a lot of people don't believe that the marriage between John Gruden and Derek Carr won't necessarily work is because of the generational gap. Gruden being like the old school NFL coach that cut his teeth in the league in the 90s against Carr, who is a millennial. So a lot of people say that that generation gap won't work. Uh, What do you think about that? I don't know if it's so much a generational gap. I think it's just more philosophical. I think when you really look at uh, the way the way that Gruden handles himself versus the way that Derek Carr and his whole entire family has been brought up, I think there's there's a big one's pedal the metal and the ones much more mellow. And I just I, I wonder how that's going to work out. And it's not to say that uh, you know that Derek Carr is you know he can't handle criticism or whatever it may be, or that John Gruden's too hard. But I just you really have to wonder how that's going to work when you've got two guys that are completely opposite in a situation like Del Rio. Del Rio didn't really seem like an in-your-face uh, kind of coach, didn't really seem like uh, you know the, the kind of guy that would do something like this. So, I mean, you're going from one uh, end of the spectrum to the complete opposite end. And I just I, I question how that's going to work, uh, especially coming off an interesting year like that. So it's it, it's going to be it's going to be fun to watch. I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say that. And I mean, it could end up working out, but I just, I have the feeling that the, the Gruden hire, even before they get to Vegas, I think within the first few years, I think a lot of people are going to realize that this wasn't the best hire to make. Yes. And let's talk about the Chicago bears for a moment. After all, you cover the team and a lot of my listeners are bears fans. So let's talk about this new bears coaching staff. And yes, there definitely is a case that Matt Patricia could wind up being the best hire of this group and for good reason. But I have been super impressed with the staff that Matt, Matt Nagy 
has been forming as soon as he got the head coaching job at the Bears. Not obviously uh, just retaining Vic Fangio as defensive coordinator, which was huge, but also keeping his mind open by bringing in Mark Helfrich to be his offensive coordinator. Helfrich was obviously Marcus Mariota's head coach at Oregon, and this, I believe, will be Helfrich's first NFL experience, but it just goes to show you that Matt Nagy is doing everything he can to make the playbook as comfortable as possible for Trubisky by incorporating college elements that he's used to with the West Coast offense that he will bring to Trubisky. So he'll have the same hybrid as he did with the Chiefs uh, this past year. So uh, I really admire that. But also, bringing back Harry Heistand, uh, forgive me if I'm pronouncing that wrong, uh, back from Notre Dame to coach the Bears' offensive line. He, be, him being known as the best offensive line coach, dare I say, in football at, at any level right now, that was a borderline coup, dare I say. And uh, so I've been very impressed, and I think Bears fans should be be- very, very excited. What do you think? I, I think so far what the Bears have done and the way everything has worked out has been fantastic. I think you look at the the Nagy hire, and I know a lot of people had different ideas in mind, whether that be a more conservative guy like a Pat Shermer in terms of personality uh, or, or, you know, a, the young stud, a John DiFilippo or, you know, Matt Nagy. I think ultimately I think everything lined up very well for them, and it doesn't surprise me that Nagy's a hire uh, for one particular reason, and that's because he's a high-energy guy. He's a younger guy just like the GM, Ryan Pace, and I think – the marriage makes a lot of sense uh, in a lot of different ways. I mean, you're talking about a guy with Nagy who had identified Trubisky as his top quarterback in this past year's draft. Uh, they, you know, kind of got to know each other a little bit during the process. I guess they, you know, at least from reports, they've uh, they've stayed in the contact with each other throughout the season, uh, even you know, minimal. So I think that all goes. Uh, perfectly. And then you look at what he does offensively. Uh, you know, he called five games this year and there's some debate whether he called the playoff game or not, which ultimately isn't really important. But when you look at what he was able to do with the Chiefs offense and, and what he can do with the Bears offense, and I think there's a lot of similarities. You, you brought up the fact that obviously it's a West Coast uh, style type of offense, but there are spread concepts within that offense. And I think obviously that's really going to be helped by the Mark Helfrich hire. Uh, coming from Oregon, he was um, the offensive coordinator with uh, Chip Kelly, and then took over head coach. You know, didn't didn't work out in terms of college terms. I mean, he was still pretty successful, but I think this is an interesting move. And I and I think when you really look at the offense and what the what the Bears are going to be able to do, uh, what he's going to be able to do with the Bears, more of the point. And you see a lot of similarities between the two. Uh, you know, Tyreek Hill is a guy that, you know, a lot of people have comped uh, Tariq Cohen to. And obviously Hill's probably a little faster, a little taller, uh, you know, a little bit, or I guess you say a little bit less green in terms of being receiver, whatever it may be. But I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, Travis Kelsey is going to be hard to replicate uh, either way. So that's going to be interesting to see how they do that. But when you look at it, they had a strong run game. Uh, they, you know, they had their different weapons. But the biggest thing for a lot of Bears fans that they need to keep in mind is they didn't have that number one receiver their leading actual receiver was albert wilson and he only had it i think it was less than 600 yards this year so i think that this is really going to work out I, I i think it will work out well for the bears because then you look at a guy like trubisky who a lot of people comp to alex smith i think he has a higher ceiling than alex smith uh better arm uh but overall i think they're very similar and you know a- athletically uh the way they move within the pocket the decisions that they make stuff like that so I think this could make a lot of sense for the Bears, but I think the biggest thing for Bears fans to keep in mind is these hires. Like you said, Harry Heastand was a huge hire. He was with the Bears from 2000, uh, 2006 to 2010. Um, 
and he, uh, sorry, 2005, uh, you know, uh, back when they went to the Super Bowl, they had some good lines there. Uh, Olin Cruz was a two-time Pro Bowler. Uh, Fred Miller was also a, a, a Pro Bowl. Sorry, Ruben Brown was a Pro Bowler as well. But you look at what he was able to do. Then he goes to Notre Dame. Uh, they've turned out nothing but uh, NFL prospects uh, over the last few years. So I think that's also big as well. But you look at the defensive side of the ball, and I think that's where the biggest key for the Bears is, is you finally get that offensive staff together. You're going to be able to build around Trubisky. You've got the right guys in the building for him. But then you turn to the defensive side of the ball. You say, okay, well, you finally got a top 10 defense but we're about to lose our coordinator. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, that, that same thought process going through Ryan Pace's head of saying, okay, we're about to lose this guy, to we're able to keep him. And now all the defensive continuity is there. You have uh, potential free agents with uh, Kyle Fuller, Prince Amukamura, guys that maybe it's going to be easier to bring back now because you're still going to have Vic Fangio there. So I think getting a complete staff like they have, uh, we haven't really heard much on – who else is going to be on the defensive staff? I would assume things would relatively stay the same there. Maybe a few small position uh, coaches will change. But overall, I think you look at the staff as a whole, and this is probably one of the better staffs, at least on paper, that the Bears have had in a while. But the biggest thing is there's a lot of balance, and you know most of these guys aren't going to go anywhere for a while. Vic Fangio is probably not going to get a head coaching job anytime soon, if ever. Uh, Helfrich, is, it's going to take a while for him to really establish his name in the NFL. So I think the Bears have got a really good thing going as long as it works out with Nagy and works out with the personnel. I completely agree. And another team uh, undergoing some coaching staff changes is the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, they let go of their offensive coordinator, Daryl Bevel, and their defensive coordinator, Chris Richard. They replaced them, respectively, with Brian Schottenheimer, who will be the offensive coordinator, and Ken Norton Jr., who will be back in Seattle, only this time as defensive coordinator. What are your thoughts on that shakeup in Seattle? Do you think these coaching staff shakeup foreshadows an upcoming roster purge? You know, the, the Seattle situation's weird to me. It, it really is, because you, you have a guy and Daryl Bevel, who I think has done a pretty good job considering what they've had on offense. I mean, obviously, they've got Doug Baldwin. They've had a pretty consistent running game up until these last few years, uh, Russell Wilson. But the biggest thing on offense has always been with them. They cannot seem to get an offensive line. It's not rocket science. I mean, you think after the last three or four years that they'd be able to get that figured out, and they haven't. So I don't quite understand, uh, at least in my mind, going from – what they had, what they have now, I it, to me it feels like it feels like a downgrade. And even looking at the defensive side of the ball, I'm not a huge Chris Richard fan. But when you look at it, you got a you got a defense that's starting to age. You got a, a guy like Michael Bennett who says he's probably uh, you know he, he feels like he's going to get cut. You've got a you know Cliff Avril may never play again. You also have uh, Cam Chancellor who may never play again. And I, I think you look at all that, and it's it's kind of hard to, you know, and the same thing with Richard Sherman. Richard Sherman's getting up there, and he's getting hurt more. And it just, you look at the whole entire situation, and I don't know if, if, if shaking up a coaching staff is a smart thing to do, but then to bring in a guy like Ken Norton Jr., I, I don't I don't understand that. I, I really don't. You have You have some pieces there, and some of these guys are getting older, but the only way to fix that is a draft, go through free agency, whatever it means. But I, I just, I have a hard time believing that their coordinators were the issue here. And even if they were, why are you hiring the guys that you hired? It just, there's, there's a lot that doesn't make sense there. And it, it almost kind of feels like things are about to fall off in Seattle. It most certainly does. And whether it does or doesn't, there's going to be a lot of change in Seattle in 2018. And speaking of free agency, the big elephant in the room when it comes to free agency is obviously Kirk Cousins. What do the Redskins do with him? Do they let him go? 
uh, do they uh, transition tag him, which means that he could sign with any other team, but the Redskins would have the right to match uh, the, the first offer he chooses. Uh, but he is obviously that first big domino, not just in free agency, but obviously in the draft, which we will talk about here in a second. But the biggest issue with Kirk Cousins is this. Is he really worth 27 to $29 million per year or more? And if so, which team should break the bank for him if he hits the open market? Well, I think you you look at Kirk Cousins, and I, I think he's a good quarterback. I'd say he's probably a top 10, a top 12 quarterback. Uh, but I really think that Washington has really just done a terrible job with the situation. I'd be shocked to see Kirk Cousins back. I, I, I think you look at it, and even going back to when they drafted RG3, and you say, okay, you know, he failed. Things didn't really work out there, but you have a backup plan at Kirk Cousins, so why wouldn't you wrap that guy up? And it just there, there's a lot of things that don't make sense there. Uh, in terms of value, I mean, you look at him and say, okay, you know, he probably is going to get, like you said, 26, 27, even up to maybe, you know, 28, 29 million dollars a year. And yes, that's a lot of money, but I think we're seeing every single year that quarterback value is somewhat subjective because it seems like every year the cap goes up anywhere from 10 to 12 million. And every year you're seeing these guys get bigger and bigger deals. And especially when you get into the free agent market, uh, things get kind of skewed because market value in the free agent market versus what a team would re-sign somebody for, regardless of position, is always going to be substantially higher. I mean, we've seen multiple receivers sign crazy contracts, uh, you know, in free agency when they're probably worth, you know, two, three, maybe even four million dollars less per year. And I think that really goes with any position, but especially with a quarterback you're always going to have new guys setting new records because that's the most important position um, on the field, really. And I think you really look at it and like, you, you know, you just mentioned in terms of uh, in terms of what they're going to do, you know, who, who's going to be after them. And I think, man, there's a there's, there's a bevy of teams out there. I think the Broncos obviously make a lot of sense. The Browns, the Giants. I mean, these are all teams looking for quarterbacks. Uh, I mean, we could we could go through the list. The, the list of Jets, uh, another team that could definitely make some sense. Uh, you know, you you could just go through uh, the list, and it's going to be interesting to see what teams, at least in my mind, what teams are willing to pay a guy like Kirk Cousins upwards of twenty eight, twenty nine million dollars per year versus getting involved in the quarterback market within the draft. And I think that's going to be, you know, last year we saw a guy like Mike Glennon get $15 million a year because he was, quote-unquote, the best quarterback on the market. But this year you're seeing that there's going to be a heavy, uh, you know, there's going to be a heavy draft uh, class, but there's also going to be a heavy free agent market. I, I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is going to go anywhere. I don't think a guy like Drew Brees is going to go anywhere, but there's multiple names. There's, I mean, there's three guys in Minnesota, uh, Case Keenum, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Bradford. Uh, I mean, there's all sorts of names out there who are going to be available on the market. So this is probably going to be the first time in quite a while that we've actually seen a market flush with quarterbacks in both free agency and draft, which is going to give teams, and there's going to be a lot of teams looking for quarterbacks, the opportunity to go the expensive route via free agency or you know, the more, uh, I guess you could say, risky route uh, in the draft and take one of the top quarterbacks. Yes, indeed. This is going to be the offseason of the quarterback in many ways. And speaking of the draft, uh, as you mentioned, this draft is flush with quarterbacks. And it wouldn't be a shock to see three, if not four quarterbacks be drafted in the top 10. And uh, the three that I personally believe that will go in the top 10 are Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, and Baker Mayfield. In what order do you have the top quarterbacks that have declared for the 2018 NFL draft on your board right now? And why do you have them in that particular order? 
So, yeah, I think, especially with the quarterbacks right now, uh, it's it's worth keeping in mind, at least on my part, that I haven't dove too heavy in the quarterbacks. Uh, you know, I've done, I guess you could say, a pretty good amount of research, but nothing uh, too heavy like I did last year right around this time. But right now, um, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and I'll list my top five, and, you know, we can kind of go from there. But uh, Josh Rosen's my top quarterback. I think when you look at him, I know a lot of people are making a lot about his uh, – you know, supposed off the field or, you know, maybe mentality issues that liken him to kind of a Jay Cutler. But I think when you look at overall gifts, what he's able to do, even overall understanding of uh, what he's supposed to be doing, I think I, I think Rosen is the top guy. I think, uh, uh, man, Sam Darno is he's an interesting one because he's a guy that he's got the size. He makes tremendous plays from time to time. And there, there's a lot to like about him. But I also think his decision making is questionable at best. And it's something that I, I worry about at the next level. But I think the biggest thing with Darno, especially, is his delivery. He's got one of those elongated deliveries. And I think the, the, the one that really came to mind is the most exaggerated delivery that I'd seen in a while is Philip Rivers. And I think it's much more pronounced than that. And that's something that maybe at the college level isn't quite uh, big of a deal. But when, when the game gets faster at the NFL level, uh, you're really limiting your time in the pocket and limiting the time that you're going to be able to get that ball at when you have such an elongated delivery. Uh, Baker Mayfield's my number three quarterback. Uh, David, we were talking about it before the show. This is Mayfield's an interesting one because I am an Oklahoma fan. I've uh, followed uh, Baker Mayfield his, the whole, whole entire time that he's been at Oklahoma. And like I was telling, like I was telling you, you know, it, it's one of those things that going into this year, I had him as you know anywhere from a third to fifth round pick. But the amount of uh, development that he has had this year, especially in the pocket, has been incredible to me. He's always had the arm. He's going to be short. I mean, there's really no way around that. He's probably going to he's probably going to measure in right about six foot. But he's got the arm. He's got the poise. Uh, he's got the accuracy. I mean, he's got literally everything that you would want. I'd say probably like a, I know a lot of people are comparing him to Russell Wilson. I don't think he's quite as athletic. Uh, he was a little bit more in my mind. He was a little bit more athletic uh, a few years ago. Uh, not quite as willing to leave the pocket now, which I think is a good thing because he's not a fast guy. He's not a big guy, but I really think that he comps to a Drew Brees. I think that could be his ceiling, and I think he's somebody that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I know a lot of people are a little worried about how he conducts himself on the field, but let me tell you, as being an Oklahoma fan, if Baker Mayfield isn't doing that, if he's not excited on the field, if he's not making obscene gestures, I understand people don't like that then that's not Baker Mayfield. That's just the way he is, and that's what makes his game so great. So I, I think he's going to be – it's going to be interesting to see how it goes, but he has everything that you would possibly want and big development coming from, uh, you know, just in 2017 alone. Lamar Jackson's my third, uh, my fourth. Uh, I, I, I can't say I agree with uh, a lot of the narrative going around that he's going to be a receiver. I think he's got a lot to offer at the quarterback position, but as I also think that he's probably going to be somebody that may need to sit back and develop, many, uh, develop a year or two. But I think he's somebody that does have a high ceiling and can be. He reminds me a lot of a right-handed Michael Vick. Uh, maybe not quite as strong of an arm, maybe not quite as good uh, with some of the different things, but he's very athletic, very gifted. Uh, my last guy is Josh Allen. He's my fifth guy. I, I won't lie, I'm not overly high on Allen. I, I, I think uh, there's definitely a Jay Cutler effect going on here. I think you look at him and you see his height, his athletic ability, his arm, all these things that physically that he's able to do, but mentally he I just don't think he has it. I understand that he had uh, not a very good supporting cast around him at Wyoming, but I think when you look at the lack of development, even maybe regression from year one to year two, or more the point from 2016 to 2017, I think there's a lot of concerns there, and I think he's somebody that's going to be a big project, and I think he's... 
he's going to be somebody that's going to want to sit back for, I'd say, two to three years. And I, I really mean that. And it's not somebody who can come, you know, you can rush him off the bench and he's going to be completely fine. I think it's really going to take a structured approach, especially mentally, to be able to get him to make better decisions. But those are my top five quarterbacks. I could see all four or all five of them going in the first round. I would take Josh Allen in the first round. But, I mean, we see every year how overvalued quarterback is, especially in the draft. So it wouldn't shock me to see all five of these guys go in the first that could very well happen. And he is Aaron Lemming. He writes for BearReport.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Aaron Lemming NFL. And Aaron, we thank you so much once again for joining us. But before we go, we have uh, one final question for you. Uh, next week, I will be at the Reese's Senior Bowl for the first time in my uh, young reporting career to cover uh, the annual event that is a major, major stepping stone in the final lap to the NFL draft. And which player at the Senior Bowl could see his stock rise the most with a big performance aside from Baker Mayfield or Josh Allen? I think somebody that could make a lot of sense uh, and looking at receiver. I mean, there's there's a plenty, plenty of players out there, but I'm looking at receiver and somebody that doesn't really seem to be getting a lot of attention right now that should be is Anthony Miller uh, out of Memphis. I think he's a little on the short side. I know a lot of people are a little uh, scared off by his age. He's going to be 24 by next season. But, man, the guy has got a lot of Antonio Brown in him. Uh, and he's just he just seems like somebody who's going to impress a lot of people. Um, and you can really take your pick at multiple names here. But I think if I, you know, being on the spot, I would definitely say, uh, you know, Anthony Miller is a guy that I'd be watching for. Aaron, thank you so much once again for joining us, and we hope to have you back on the program in the very near future, especially as we get closer to the draft. Absolutely. Thanks again for having me on. It's always a pleasure. Pleasure is all ours, Aaron. And that's all for today here on Sports Crunch with D-Crom. Be sure to check out the episode archive as well as an up-to-date blog of mine at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Aaron. For Aaron Lemming, our producer Chris Broadhead, I'm David Cromwell saying so long, and of course, stay awesome.